1: Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cesario. Uh, My guest, uh, the amazing Matt Harowitz, and we just spent a half hour um, uh, going down a road I didn't even see when we first started talking uh, about um, stand-up and about being an intern on shows and about... Just wanting to write jokes for the joy of making other comedians laugh, knowing that that will then make civilians laugh, Uh, (laughs) and and now we're gonna take the uh, the Disney flume ride down the giant hill that is your sitcom (laughs) (laughs) career, Uh, which I'm not even joking when I'm saying I've probably got half your credits. You're doing. There's Whitney. There's a show called Go On, which was oh, Matthew Perry's, uh, Selfie, Angie Tribeca, L.A. to Vegas, I Feel Bad, Outmatched, Doogie, Aloha, M.D. Yeah, the reboot. Uh, the and reboot. I believe the Night Court reboot. And there's probably f- at least four or five squeezed in between there that you may not even want to talk about. <laughs> no, I mean, look. It's but all- this is this to me is is beautiful. This is what a career, one path a career can take, which is strap in, hang on. You're literally going from tree to tree in the jungle of sitcoms, grabbing this gig at last two years. Bam, I'm over on this one. That last four, boom, I'm here for a half a season. I'm over here. And yeah. yet you're making it work. How do you transition into sitcom from from the stand-up work and the roast battles mm-hmm. and all of that level of writing and the Killborn gig and all of that? You mentioned Bert Kreischer. Is that your first foray into? Well, so Burt Bert
0: Kreischer was, uh, Bert, it was called Live Sex Show with Bert Kreischer. It was a pilot for Comedy Central. That's beautiful. It should have been a hit. I mean, it, the pilot was phenomenal. Scott Landsman was the guy who was like, we got to get Bert." He knew it. And um uh yeah, it was just a but it was a really hard thing for me. And I was an EP and like I said, I was trying to get in the sitcom world. I had done pilots based on my stand-up uh um chunks, not for me to be in, but i pilots that I wrote that didn't get shot. Um and I had done some punch up on features and stuff. I so I'd met some people in the sitcom world, but I didn't make that jump, and then uh that thing happens where I felt it it wasn't live sex show wasn't as fun as it should be. That sounds like a, a clip that could be taken out
1: of context, Which is quite frankly <laughs> universal. Yeah, probably. So the live uh, sex show is never as fun as it sounds like it's gonna be. <laughs>
0: um, so they uh um I get offered a job as a staff writer on a show called Better With You, which was run by uh Shauna Goldberg Meehan and um Greg Malins. And um I had only done one scripted thing that was like six episodes on MTV. uh, And then I went back to the late night stuff and I go in and I'm a little bit older than most of the other staff writers. um, But I'm nervous. I'm terrified. I've never done this before. And all I want is for this to work. And it was a great pilot. It was really structured. Well, it was an old school, like multicam, really strong characters. But it was on a night of all single camps, so we didn't know that would be a problem. That's a spoiler alert. <laughs> but um I get in that room and like two days in, I'm with some friends writers, some people from my name is Earl, and other everyone else had a sitcom experience. But I pitch some joke and it doesn't go well, and it didn't kill me. Like I knew I would have another bite at the apple. Right, Whereas right. I feel like other staff writers were pitching. And if they bombed, they were silent for days. <laughs> so wow. I having that muscle of like, we show up, we write jokes, we come back in, we listen, be in the moment, you know, react in real time, just try to be funny with these other people. Um, that was where I started to feel like, oh, th- I'm going to be okay here. And one and day also
1: I- having mm-hmm. the muscle from... Uh, the Chappelle discussion, which is get comfortable with the silence. Be comfortable in the silence. If you're comfortable with that in a room, Mm -hmm. it conveys whether you actually feel it or not. It conveys confidence. Yes. And I didn't feel, I didn't
0: feel, I, I didn't come from a world where there was competition between the writers. Like, I guess some sitcoms can be like that. I always felt like when we wrote on the roasts or when, you know, When we were on Elon Gold's show or even back to the Comedy Central Bar Mitzvah, like I wanted to be friends with all the people we were writing with. They were the funniest people in the world. And so I always wanted to, you know, make the other staff writers laugh. I wanted to hang out with them. And I guess that was rare, but I, I made one joke one day. Um early like the first week and Malens pointed that out as like, oh my God, that's not a joke. We could do a whole story about that. Like, and he talked me through how to build that out. And like, this is, you know, oh, this, that's there's great. a whole world there. And Adam Chase took me aside and started talking to me about story structure. And like, um, you know, uh Holberg and Lickle, same thing. They were like very kind of like, here's what you should do, here's how you should do better. And um it, it just was a, an environment where I felt very comfortable. And then I started to play that it was playing to my strength. Then you add the live audience after, after we write all the scripts, we write, you know, we're in pre-production. Now we start shooting the show in front of the audience, a joke bombs. And I'm like, I'm just going through the script and just marking up what's not working. And I would pull the other staff writers aside and go, let's talk about this joke. Let's talk about that joke. Blah, 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 blah. And then. When Greg and Shauna would turn around from the monitors, we would already be there with our scripts with jokes in them. And it was just a weird kind of accidental organization that happened where well, there was on-
1: something natural, I think, in you that can get broken down to uh, the simplest base, which is a joke. Didn't get a laugh. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the instinct uh-huh. for you or I is that ah, crap. Yeah. We gotta work on that. That joke needs to get a laugh. And so it compels you towards the organization of it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, these three, well shit, let's get going now. Right. So that when they turn, you're not thinking, oh, let's kiss ass. You're thinking, we gotta have better jokes. Right. Or and then like, they turn around, you get at least you're you're somewhat ready in any situation. Well, don't you feel like that when you're like watching someone at the factory or and
0: whenever, like what you're watching someone do a set and a joke gets like a B reaction and you're like, oh, I wish they said this. <laughs> like, that's just a natural thing that happened from being in the yeah. comedy club. And it directly
1: translated to tape nights. It directly- That's impressive. It can uh, work. I've had to to monitor that in myself in clubs because I am so I have so much fun. With the writing of it, and mm-hmm. it feels so natural to me that after someone set in certain environments, especially down at Comedy Magic Club, which is very, um, very much a collective almost, mm-hmm. I would just go, "Oh man, loved your set," and, and had a thought on this joke and that joke and that joke. Mm-hmm. And some people don't want to hear that; they just mm-hmm. don't want to hear it, even if you're offering it up in the in the best. So I really my enthusiasm would take me places that didn't necessarily weren't the warmest reception, <laughs> right? I realize, Oh, I'm, I'm doing it from here, but they're hearing it from it. It's coming off. I should say as, Oh, this guy thinks he's funnier than me or he's adding jokes. So then I really had to go, okay, it's gotta be with people I know. And it's, and then I started prefacing it with a love the whole set and b, love this joke. Mm-hmm. It's working. Mm-hmm. But, if you ever want to try a tag or something like that, I had a thought, and then see if there's yeah yeah, a receptiveness to it, yeah, but yeah, that muscle in in multicam, which is the type of sitcom that has the live audience mm-hmm. is is
0: invaluable yeah, it's invaluable, and it after like one or two tape nights, I felt like I could start feeling it earlier in the week, like by the table read. I could start to go, "Oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> that we're going to if this story goes this way, we need something, we need to build to something bigger here." And I felt it, and you know, I still was the low man on the totem pole. So, sometimes I would talk to the other staff writers about it. Sometimes it would come up in a small room. And then eventually I got to the point where I was comfortable enough to kind of just bring it up uh in the room with everybody even in front of the showrunners and, you know, "Hey, this this we're this isn't building comedically like we thought. The story isn't paying off this way, or we really need if we're gonna get this moment here, we need more heart here. Like I would be able to kind of see that structure like you would for a stand up set. I would be able to start to see that at the table read and it helped me in rewrites, and then it helped me, you know, after the first run through, and then it helped me on tape night. And usually before tape night of that show in particular. Um, I would go through and the staff writers and I, we would all sit down and mark up. This one is one that we might have to punch. This one has been hit and miss all week. This is a new joke we've never heard. Like, this is not in this actor's wheelhouse. And we started to kind of have our jokes ready beforehand. And then we would come down to set and we would probably be at like 70%
1: right. 70% of the areas we picked were good. And then you're developing instincts and Mm -hmm. honing them on two or three levels, (laughs) sort of on this very first gig. The first one is your joke instinct, which is already functioning pretty well. Mm -hmm. You're fine-tuning it so that on a Tuesday for Friday taping, you're going, All right, guys, let's start come up with some alts (laughs) for this joke because I'm not sure it's gonna fly. (laughs) Right. And then you're also kind of moving ahead with your story instincts going this whole area may be an issue. And we may have to find something back in act one that'll trigger us in a little different way. So all of this is happening on this gig. And then how does it go away? How does this great gig, this good? Well, the show gets canceled. I mean, we got a back nine, which everyone
0: jumped up and down for. I remember the day we did it and the people who I was on that show with, the lower level, like Lon Zimmett, Dan Rubin, and Zach Rosenblatt, who are still three of my closest friends, we thought we were going to be together for nine years. right? <laughs> and, then, and the show went away and it was heartbreaking. And um, then uh, um, Malin says to me, hey, you know, pilot punch-up season's coming. I always get asked to do it. I never want to do it. Is it okay if I say, I can't make it, but this kid, Matt, can? And I said, sure, absolutely. Um, And uh, he recommended me to a bunch of punch-ups, pilot punch-ups. And I think I did 11 or 12 in that hiatus. And a few of those turned into job offers, um, one of which was Whitney. Now, I knew Whitney from Stand Up and the Roasts. And then Betsy Thomas, who was the showrunner of that show, got a good recommendation and saw me at at one of the punch-ups. And I was like on Whitney's list. And now Betsy's like, Oh, he, this is not just some friend of Whitney's. This is a guy who can write. So and you literally
1: to- cross referenced <laughs> off of two recommendation <laughs> right. lists.
0: Right. But that's, yeah. and that's what you had to do. I mean, I yeah. was so, it took me so long to get into sitcoms. I was so terrified and still am that I, that I won't be asked back. And right. so right. for me, it's constantly like every day is like, all right, how am I going to prove my worth? And, um, not get fired. And, uh, and yeah, that was very much apparent on that day. And that staff was another, just, I mean, murderers row. If you look at everybody who was there and that whole room, we became really close friends. If you remember that Whitney rollout, her billboards were everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we jokingly called her Vaginfeld, um,
1: <laughs> because we thought she was going to be the female Seinfeld, obviously. <laughs> Um, and the show uh warranted it i yeah. thought uh rhythmically and and character-wise it it uh had a nice ring to it it had a mm-hmm. nice tone yeah and a nice it was, rhythm Which a great which is more than you can get out of 85% of 90% of sitcoms right it was a great cast there
0: was kind of like this weird almost mad about you almost friends with like a more of a stand-up tone. And it was like, yeah, we all felt like with this rollout, we really felt like we were again again gonna be there for nine years together. Dan right. Levy and I became close friends, Sam Sclaver, Neil Shaw, John Quatens, Danielle Sanchez, uh Witzel, uh Teresa <laughs> Teresa Mulligan Rosenthal, Adrian Wenner, Ethan Sandler, like Betsy, obviously. We all were fast friends and we had the best time working together. And, um, yeah, then the show was like on the bubble at the end of the season and we were like, what is going on? Yeah. And, and then at some, that point I had had an, ex- I did again, the pilot punch-ups in between seasons. And I, I had had an executive say to me, well, you'll never, you're not going to work on single camera shows cause you're a multicam guy. And I was I felt like I was about to be pigeonholed and I got a strong panic
1: in, in me. And before Whitney was picked Other up, people would call it an instinct.
0: But <laughs>
1: No, I'm a Jewish. comedian, Everything, especially <laughs> a Jewish comedian. Yeah, you're a panic,
0: a strong panic. Um, I, so I knew two things. One, I needed a single cam credit and, and two, I needed new anti-anxiety pills. And so <laughs> I, uh, I got offered a job on Go On, which is the Matt Perry show um, from Silveri. And I was like, Whitney, is it okay if I take this job? And she very graciously let me go. And then Whitney got a second season. And I was like, I felt like I didn't know if I made the right move or not, but at least now I was on a single cam show. I would have that, that skill set, you know, right, I would be right. around Todd Holland was our director. Uh, he taught me a lot about being on he set. He worked on Sanders. Yeah. Um, I uh, trust me anytime there was a break in the show I would ask him questions about that. <laughs> he told me like that last scene in Sanders I think they did one take of it because um uh Art what's the actor who played Art Rip, Rip Torn. Torn Rip Torn was like I don't think we need this. The show's over or something like that. And so uh, maybe I'm getting the story wrong. So Todd Todd was like just let us get one shot of it just in case we need it. And that was it's gold. That last yeah. scene is gold. Um but anyway, so and that and that's an approach I take with like everybody out of fandom. If I meet someone, Andy Ackerman, amazing director, I, I like I always have questions, and I wait for the right time. I don't want to freak anyone out. But like Gary David Goldberg hung out in the offices of Better with You. He created Family Ties. Oh my God! Every morning you would see him get a bagel, and for me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask him four questions because I'm never going to get this chance again. (laughs) Right? You know, just as a historian, like
1: you meet Buddy Hackett, like I got questions for him. Yeah. I mean, anyway, so. So now explain this to me. Yeah. The difference (laughs) between multicam and single cam as a writer looking at a script, you no longer really have the ability. To go, this joke didn't work. This joke didn't work. They're different kinds of jokes. Mm-hmm. You're writing sort of on a different plane. What are the biggest differences between the two?
0: Well, um, there's a lot of things you can do in single cam. To uh, it's obviously a more cinematic medium, whereas multicam is more like a play that relies on the on the audience to kind of. Uh, to help us feel the material like you're you're relying on that live tension you don't have that in single cam obviously but you can make that up with music with editing so i i always feel like the most important thing with single cam is to have alternate alternate takes alternate cuts alternate jokes um and also alternate shots i always feel like todd told me you know comedy plays in wides like you want to make sure the inclination is to go tight on people. So you have editing options. But I was, I was always very conscious of like making sure you can see someone say something and someone react for jokes and for drama. So um, it took me a little, obviously a while to learn that, but like, you know, I always felt like you can come out of a table read and feel, feel it as a live piece. And then kind of start to see how it would edit down, like what's going to go away, what characters are scoring, what relationships and tensions and conflicts really kind of pull you in, like literally make you lean in closer at the table read. And then I would try always consciously to like, how do I pull those out? How do I shine a light on them? How do I communicate to the other writers who might have different takes or network people who might have different takes that I think this is the thing we want to lean into. Something feels uh, something about this has a gravitational pull. You know, like Brett Gelman was on our show on Go On. He's an amazing uh, actor and and comic. Uh, he's so funny. There's something compelling about him. He was just in the show for jokes at first. And then you realize, oh, he's going to be the best friend because it's always funny to have Matt Perry talking to him. Right. And so. Right. So all of a sudden that guy's getting pages, you know? Um, And it, you know, John Cho was great. And it was like, we got to figure out a way to bring him in with the group of, uh, of uh,
1: people in Matt Perry's grief group. Like it was just this weird type of thing of like, is there something to be said for an actor taking what little he or she may have in their initial pages Mm-hmm. And a either creating something with it, or b, and I think it is an or. I'm not sure. Just having a natural chemistry with the focal point of the scene. In this case, Matt Perry. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I, or both. You know, it could be both. I think it's both. I think it's you know,
0: I always bring it back to baseball, but it's just like you just have to know the situational, the the moves in every situation, like there might be a week where you don't have a lot. And so you need to score. You need like, you got one at bat. It, you need right. to make it count. And if that means leading in and getting hit by a pitch,
1: like, so, so that's it. what I got to do. <laughs> you know, for the team, get on, get more, on base. But,
0: um, but yeah, you got, you know, I don't know if an actor can really, I guess, and I, I, I don't know it from their point of view. Um, But I think it is kind of, you know, the show you everyone goes in thinking the show is going to be one thing and then it becomes what it wants to be. Right. And it is kind of like, all right, let's see. Once you get these, once you get these people together and once you get the lighting people, uh, you know, light a certain way, this, what sets look better, who comes alive, when those things you really don't know until the show is on its feet. So like you just have to be ready to pivot You just have to know, I mean, you have to see how the season's going and kind of play to your strengths. I don't know what that, that's, in my opinion, how you find the quality of the show. I don't know how you can take that and then make it into a hit, obviously, because a lot of my shows are one season. Um, But (laughs) it is very interesting to see, you know, uh, something in the pilot stage. Uh, and you can tell, oh, they think this is gonna be a will they won't they? And then the actors don't have the best chemistry, or you know, um someone has better chemistry with someone else, you know. We have a guest star yeah. and oh my god, they those two in a scene it's electric. We gotta bring them back, you know. Right. Um there's there's always that sort of thing. And it it, you know, it's it's a very it's it's just one of those things that's like you can't really articulate it and and every situation is different you just gotta kind of have to read it on its feet
1: but, but uh accepting the fact that it will become something different mm-hmm. than what it started is probably a big step i think yeah yeah uh, so now you go from stuff like that to full-blown parody but mm-hmm. single camp. <clears throat> With yeah. Angie Tribeca, oh, which I, maybe not since Police Squad, which was the Zuckers and, and Pat mm-hmm, Proff, mm-hmm, you know, which is legendary mm-hmm. uh, for writers and comedians. Police Squad is one of the most legendary shows, less so for the network, which right, kept it on, I think, right, right. shows maybe. I think it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but you guys tackle this, and this is through Nancy and Steve Carell. Yeah. They uh, come it. up with this concept and you, you latch onto that. What's your connection to, how do you get this gig?
0: I I mean, they did the first season um, and Ira Ungleiter ran it. He got my name, I think from Malin's or that friend's crew. And he and I just had a really good meeting and um, I had watched the first season of the show and I come into that meeting kind of like, Almost the way we talk about you go you talk to a, a person after they do their stand-up set. I was like, here's what I loved. If I could, I would do this. I would love to see this. Wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And him and I just have that ping pong meeting where yes and yes and yes and and you know, I um I knew I I had watched NYPD blue from the beginning. So I had a lot of those tropes in my head of like, we need to pull this in. We need to pull this in. We need to pull this in. And I just, I, I was very excited about it. And he and I clicked and he was the best. He he's such a great showrunner. Um, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. No one really took a draft. We wrote all on the screen. We would come up with an idea. I mean, wow. some sometimes lifted from a CSI or some someone would be like, I saw the craziest cold open of CSI and was like, like then we would say, okay, let's let's start from there and then build our case backwards. And you know, Steve had a good nose. Uh he would come in um for table reads and stuff. Steve and Nancy, they had a really good nose for like what was too far and what was, you know, what needed, and then they had their own pitches. But Ira really got, would get it really right, right from the beginning. I mean, we would pitch them our stories, we would pitch them our twists, we'd pitch some gags, and then we would come in and write it. And we would write through the script, and then we would start the, we would start a few days later back on page one and go back through it. Then we would have a table read, stuff wouldn't work. You'd hear from production what we could and couldn't do. But that was so funny, because you would take these thin stories which is, uh, you know, sometimes what the dramas are, these really thin stories. And just instead of putting in gross uh, crime scene stuff, you put in funny crime scene stuff. And it was just those, all those shows had so many tropes. It was like, I could go home and watch, you know, Law & Order SVU and someone else would watch it. And the next day you'd come in with like six things because you were like, They did this, we should do that. Right. Wouldn't it be funny if it was this and like instead of that? Or like even this is exactly what we did. Let's do the same thing, except our character saying the jokes will be a dog. You know, like it was it, it was like almost animation, almost parody. It was it was so fun. And also Ira was this great um policeman for like, no, that's like we had one thing where some people, uh, I think it was prop people or set design, they wanted uh, someone's apartment to look a certain way. And he's like, no, because that's a joke. It has to look real. And like, right. you know, it's like the dog stand, the, we close the curtain, the dog stands up and takes a shower like a human being.
1: Like, that's the joke. It's not, you know, um, it was It's amazing weird... how, how fragile jokes are. Mm -hmm. when for us they're super strong right but for anyone else looking in on the joke uh it's it can be missed in the blink of an eye Mm -hmm. I i remember being on um jack frost the movie and we were doing some hockey thing and and i sort of took for granted that you would know when the old lady doing the play-by-play says, well, it's out of play or whatever the line was, right. you got it close on her. right? And that's the joke. right? And, and it was missed completely. And oh. I realized, oh, my God, I, I have to. It is not clear. It is nobody's fault mm-hmm. except mine, because the joke isn't people don't have that muscle in them where yeah. they go, oh, of course, right. got that, yeah. you know. So you got to go and go, we need this. We need this. We need this. Yeah. And we need it right here so we can get her lip curl. Yeah. You know, or whatever it is. And the fragility of jokes for other people. And you mentioned on Angie Tribeca, the sets, the Mm -hmm. sets are, the sets could be from SUV, could be from CSI. Yeah. The lighting, which is super important to me, could be. Uh, a crime procedural. Yeah. And, and that's cool. So yep. that nothing here betrays that this is going to be a comedy until they start to talk. <laughs> right. Right. Until they start to talk. And until you see when they're doing a scene in a hospital and he's in a full suit. But when he turns around for some reason, his suit's split in half and his <laughs> ass is showing like a hospital gown. So the jokes happen in this environment that looks completely legit
0: Mm -hmm. and everyone's playing it straight. I mean, again, that, and that cast totally got it. Everyone was in for the, was on board for the whole thing. And you know, down for whatever, man, they, yeah, they were great. I mean, Hayes, Rashida, everybody Cole. Yeah. Dion is a beast. Yeah. Um, but it was like, and you know, sometimes they had to learn really technical language, and it's like there was a rhythm to it. It had to sound straight, and um, uh, and yeah, it it once you tip that it, it was a joke, it lost a
1: little bit. It, it was like a, it was a yeah. Well, that's that where <laughs> I think having the Correls at the helm really yeah. helps. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, in the network yeah. meetings, we're almost out of time. Yeah, I'm gonna sir. jump ahead. We're gonna pass over. I, I hate to do this too. L.A. to Vegas, oh, which loved it.
0: Which that was so fun.
1: a show about a commuter airline.
0: <laughs> well, that was based on a real thing that happened to Lon. Like Lon Zimmett again, from Better With You, he when he was a struggling writer, he would go, he would fly to Vegas and play poker and uh, sit in a poker room for two days and take money from tourists and then come home. And I mean, that was his life, you know, Tuesday to Thursday or, you know, he would he would just try to figure out how to do those things. Um, and then yeah, he it was like a line he said to someone in a meeting, and they were like, That's a show. You should do that. Like immediately latched on to that. And he right. wrote the pilot and he gave it to some of us to read. And we were like, Yeah, that's great. And it was just meant to be a sample. And then um Owen uh oh God, what's Owen's last name? Can't put, Owen Burke at um at uh, uh Will and Adams company read it and was like, Yeah, we want to do this. And they got it done. And again, Pilot was great. Levitan directed it. And yeah, there was another room of heavy hitters. And again, we thought, oh, yeah, we're going to be here for nine years. I guess the time, I guess the key
1: is to not think you're going to be there for nine years. Maybe that's the secret. If you just cut that down to a year and a half, your whole career would have been happier. (laughs) But that's 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 a wonderful example of how something can come out of nothing. Nothing, yeah. It's a guy's real life. He drops one line in a meeting mm-hmm. just because it gurgles out of him. Mm-hmm. Seems like the right time to crack a joke about him flying to Vegas to play poker. Right. Somebody goes, bang, it hits their tuning fork and mm-hmm. just vibrates it. Mm-hmm. And they go, that's a show. That's a show. He writes it as a sample. Mm-hmm. The readers go, this is freaking great. We're going to do this. And we're, you know, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, we can get it done. They get it done. Mm-hmm. I think it lasted two years. I'm not sure. But so we did. I, we of did a season. Of the, uh Yeah. The flight. the female flight attendant mm-hmm. is really funny in it. Yeah, she's great. She has the lines and she knows what to do with them. And I can't remember her name, but she was great. Yeah. Hold on. I should feel like we should look it up <laughs> now. Yeah. Uh, uh, meantime, while you're looking that up, I want to jump ahead only because we've never had anybody on one of these Disney sitcoms. Okay, and you did Doogie Kamaloha MD, yes, which is uh, a cute show about about a teen genius doctor who's also has uh, a teen romance problem. It's yes, it's yes, the perfect Disney show. Yeah, that well, yeah, she's 16 doing open heart surgery or whatever the hell she's doing. And also as a surfer boyfriend and a bad boy boyfriend. Yes, yes. It's like, (laughs) how do you write those? How do you? How do you come into a room like that where you know that not necessarily that funny is not necessarily the bottom line. And up to this point, pretty much everything you've done, Mm -hmm. funny is going to be the bottom line. Yeah, this may have a more sort of uh, balanced agenda, if you will, tactfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well I think um first
0: real quick Kim Matula, uh, the actress from LA to Vegas, hilarious.
1: She she could throw um, those lines back at people.
0: And also hilarious, uh Courtney Kang, who uh created the reboot of Doogie Kamealoha. Um uh, that was a show that started on Zoom. There was a Zoom room. Wow. And um so it was it was tough uh to adjust to, having been in rooms, you know, real rooms before. Um but that was an interesting show because it was about, you know, a, it was about a, a a teen girl who is a doctor. And you go back and watch the Doogie Hauser show, which you think is kind of going to be a blueprint. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. This was a little bit more adult. Like it was. I mean, there were a lot of sex jokes. They were horny teenage boys, you know, and so yeah. so you're like, OK, I don't know that. This is going to fly today. Um, But it really was like, I think, I really think it was, you know, Courtney thinking about what's the show she wished was on when she was a a teenager and what's the show she wished her daughters were watching. And they're like, we got, you have great people in it who are funny, you know. Um, Ronnie Chang, especially like we're, we're writing jokes for them. They're killing stuff, but there is also the, the story element needs to be so strong because it is this, you know, it, it it has to have that feeling of like melodrama that every teenager feels like they're in, you know, right. which um, I mean, I watched it. My kids loved it. We watched it together. You know, it was one of the first shows I worked on that I watched with my family and it was really interesting to see the That's stuff they really laughed cool. at and the stuff that they didn't laugh at and the stuff that I thought was funny. And it had a little bit of everything, you know, it played off, it played on a bunch of different levels. And it was like, Courtney really pulled off a tonal thing that, uh, it, I didn't feel like a cheap kid show to me. It felt right. like an accessible family show with, you know, maybe a lower joke per minute rate, but the jokes that are there
1: are solid. You know, she comes right. from How I Met Your Mother. And they and- do kind of serve the story. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a single cam mm-hmm. Disney mm-hmm. vehicle Show. sitcom. Yeah. yeah. And you look at their multi sitcoms, and we've already talked about the difference between those two beasts, mm-hmm. but their multi-cams have literally have a a, a full house rhythm. Mm-hmm. They have, yes, you know, yeah, that uh, Friday night that energy, seventies ABC <laughs> sitcom <laughs> rhythm, yeah, that early eighties where oh, right, I just turn the lights up full mm-hmm. and let's shoot, yes. you know? yeah. A lot of their live sitcoms have that feel and have that bam, bam, pow, yeah. And this had a different feel, and I think a lot of their um subsequent shows after their sort of heyday of the Jesse's and those kinds of shows yeah. on Disney. Uh, and I think they're going more towards this now.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it was kind of, they were trying to figure out what the Disney plus of it all was like. They didn't right. want Disney plus to be the Disney channel as an app. They wanted it to be a place that they could house the, uh, you know, um, I mean, this is all secondhand for meetings and stuff, but like they wanted it to be a place that could ha- house the Marvel stuff and the Disney stuff and the, um, eventually i think the hulu stuff like fx and what have you uh i don't know that they're ever going to actually merge them but i think that was what they were kind of trying to build towards so this was trying to be one of those shows that i think that could link the two that could be like you know if your parent if the parents or older kids are going to watch the marvel stuff and the younger kids are going to watch the animated stuff or the multicam stuff like what's a show that can they can sit down and click on together and watch three in a row and so
1: um, and then to achieve that tonally um, (laughs) that's 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 she walked a tightrope there and she did it successfully from point a to point b that's pretty impressive yeah she's that's a a hell of an agenda she's fantastic and and to to be thinking to yourself I would like to write a show that, that my daughters could watch mm-hmm. and then to have the network come in and go, we would like a show that transitions <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to entirely different demographics. Yeah. You go, okay. <laughs> right. Well, I think she's, and she you did know, it. she, I mean,
0: they came to, I, I don't even know who came to her with the idea of rebooting the show, but like the idea of her, of setting it in Hawaii was like, it's genius because. Just every exterior, first of all, she got to go to Hawaii to shoot most of it, but every exterior is like it pulls you in. You're yeah. like, oh, I it immediately feels like the highest budget show because you're on location at a beach in Hawaii. The house walks out to the surf. It's insane. Right.
1: And the people
0: are beautiful.
1: Like that's just it's well that I, I, I watched that I watched some of it and, and I went. You know, you look at the two kid, the two boyfriends in her life. Mm-hmm. And if they're in a hospital in Baltimore, you're going, <laughs> no, no. <Yep>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not I mean, happening. No. In no, Hawaii, I, it, I didn't even, it didn't even bump me. Right. I went, oh, these two kids are gorgeous. Yes. And she's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Every, I mean, <laughs> the lead actress. And you go. Oh, okay. So why this all makes sense? Yeah. just sit back right. and go, okay. Everything's right.
0: Yep. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it really was, you know, it was great too. Cause my dad and my dad and my brother are both doctors. So I, I feel like I was able to throw in some of that stuff of like, you know, my dad had this one weird case that I always remember. And it was a very interesting thing because I was like, you know, I think one of the big, one of the biggest reasons I'm in comedy is because um, my dad loves three things. Uh, medicine sports and comedy and i was bad at the first two so (laughs) so
1: to be able to bring the medical stuff into the show that's impressive and and uh nobody in a writer's room and they're always trying to top each other nobody in a writer's room is going to be able to top trust me uh, I always remember when my dad was a doctor. He had, <laughs> they're just not going to be my yeah. guest today. The amazing Matt Harowitz, We have not even jumped into Night Court, oh. uh, the reboot of that. That's going to be uh, the next episode.
0: Part with, two, uh, part, uh, part three. Uh, can I be the? Can, is,
1: has anyone gone three times? No, we haven't. But uh, but I can't. <laughs> oh. I don't have the. Right. I don't have the legs to go All through. Right. Jeff, man, <laughs> <My brain's fried.
0: laughs> can I thank you for everything? You've always been hilarious. Even before we met, um, you were a North star. You're the best man.
1: Oh man. Thank you so much. That's sweet of you to say. And it, and it's, uh, it'll make my day until I start to go back to what I was writing and realize how crappy it is. <laughs> and I need, I need to be better doing it. And you too, you've always been uh, an amazing supporter and i appreciate it and uh and uh we'll do this again uh folks matt harrowitz thank you guys thank you i'll see you guys later